0: Good morning. We're going to be in Colossians this morning. It's always neat to see how God orchestrates things. Um, We get into Sunday school this morning and uh, we're talking about the deity of Christ, uh, but we're looking at the book of John, uh, chapter 10 this morning, and I'm thinking man, that's the sermon this morning, so the deity of Christ. And so it's always fun to see how God orchestrates these things, even though we may be completely clueless that uh, we're aware that he's doing things, but uh, we're not necessarily in tune with what he has uh, going on behind the scenes. So uh, the fact that I would be here this day, and that happened to be the lesson this day, and uh, then the pastor's here, and I'm not sure I'm even going to be preaching this day, and then all these things happen, and it's like, okay, This is the word for the day, uh, the deity of Christ. And so we'll be in uh, Colossians chapter 1. I want to read 15 to 23, uh, and then we'll look at this text uh, as we go along. But Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created. "...that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell." And by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away... From the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for loving us. And Lord, I pray that we would hear clearly from you and continue to worship you and exalt you through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. It's important for us to... Understand uh, the deity of Christ as we talked about in Sunday school, but it's also important for us to understand uh, as believers what it is that we believe, why we believe the things that we believe, uh, in whom we have placed our faith and in whom uh, we trust. And who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. And so Paul, here in Colossians, is writing to the Colossian saints and the faithful, that is the church, as he says there in chapter 1, verse 2. He's also a prisoner at the time, as it indicates over in chapter 4 and verse 18. And it's about 60 to 62 AD, and Paul is killed about 67 uh, AD. And so he's dealing here in Colossians uh, with the doctrinal heresies. He's, the Jews are adding some rules about food, about the Sabbath, about special festivals to aid in their salvation, as we see over in chapter 2 and verse 16. But, uh, and they're teaching that Jesus was a higher being, but not God. And then they're also teaching uh, angel worship, as we see over in Colossians 2.18. So uh, he's dealing here, Paul is dealing with false teaching and so he's saying look there's false teachers out here there's false teachings out here i want you to understand that jesus is god and so he was clarifying these things so let's look at this text here this morning and and we go we're going to start back or pick back up with verse 15 and it says he talking about jesus is the image of the invisible god and so in paul's time image refers to a likeness placed on a coin or in a portrait and so image carries the idea of corresponding to the original. And Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. And so when you see Jesus, you are seeing God the Son. Hebrews 1:3, which we looked at in Sunday school this morning, let me take this time right now to say if you miss Sunday school, you need to come to Sunday school. It's a good time to maybe hear the same message twice. Uh, It may be a good time to learn something new or to ask questions. Uh, Typically in this environment, you don't ask questions. If you did, I might be surprised. Um, uh, But in Sunday school, it's a good time to ask questions about things you're talking about. So let me encourage you to come to the 9, 45, 10 o'clock hour for Sunday school. But Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, "...who being the brightness or radiance of His glory and the express image of His person..." And upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so Jesus, who is God the Son, along with God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit, are three persons with the exact same essence, with the one divine nature. And so they are the one God with different roles, functions, and attributes. And they are the one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so verse 15 goes on to say, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So firstborn here refers to a priority in rank as opposed to a priority in time. Firstborn carries the idea of being the rightful heir, not the first in birth order like uh, Isaac's sons, Esau and Jacob. So Jesus is the rightful heir. Hebrews 1, 2 has in, it says this, "...has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds." And so Jesus was born as a baby into humanity to Mary as a child, but Jesus was not created. He has always existed. As it says in John 1, 1 and 2, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." He was in the beginning with God. And so the firstborn has this right of privilege and this right of priority. Jesus, as the firstborn, has the highest rank in all creation. As we see in verse 16, "...for by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth." Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And so John 1.3 says it this way. All things were created or were made through him and without nothing was made that was made. And so Genesis 1 gives that account of creation that we're very familiar with. And Jesus, Genesis 1.26 says, and God said, let us... Make man in our own image, after our likeness. That's plural from the get-go, from verse one. So God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are present from Genesis one one, and so Jesus is eternally existent. In verse seventeen, it goes on to say, and He is He is before all things, and in Him all things uh, consist. And so Jesus is eternally existent. He's always been. He's always been there since Genesis one one and before. And will always be. And so Jesus is the powerful sustainer of the universe. Hebrews 1.3 says this. And upholding all things by the power of his word. And so Jesus is very powerful. Jesus is very present from the beginning through today and will always be there. Verse 18 says, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead. The firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. And so he is the head of the body, the church. And so some understand head to mean the origin. Others understand head to mean the authority in the church. But Jesus is both the authority and the origin of the church. And so he is the source of life. The church operates under the authority of Jesus Christ as head. And then we have leaders in place, but Jesus is the head of the church. 18 goes on to say, who uh, is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. And so again, firstborn is a reference to the first in rank or first in priority. Others like Lazarus uh, died and preceded Jesus in rising from the dead. But Lazarus at some point died again, whereas Jesus is very much still alive. So Jesus is the first person to rise, never to die again, while others died. And so Jesus is the first person to conquer death. Verse 19. It says, For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell. That's a very clear statement that Jesus is God. For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell. So God's fullness resides in Jesus. Colossians 2.9 says, says this, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus is the one that took on the human flesh. And so the Godhead is indwelling Jesus bodily because he has the human body at the time. And so throughout scripture, Jesus is identified as God. If we look back at Isaiah, he identifies uh, Jesus as God in 712 B.C. Isaiah 9.6 says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Matthew identifies Jesus as God in Matthew one twenty three. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Peter identifies Jesus as as the Christ, the Son of God. Matthew sixteen, fifteen, and 16 say, He said to them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then 2 second, second Peter 1, 1 says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith, with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. And so, throughout scriptures, we are seeing that different people are identifying Jesus as God. Thomas identifies Jesus as Lord and God in John 20, 28. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Paul, writing to Titus, identifies Jesus as God in Titus two thirteen, Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus... Identifies himself as God in John 10 30. This is the one we looked at in Sunday school this morning, the John 10 passage. John 10 30 says, I and my Father are one. That's pretty explicit that Jesus is God. I and my Father are one. God the Father identifies Jesus as, as God. In Hebrews 1 8, he says, But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And so we see, again, throughout Scripture that different people, Jesus and God themselves, identify Jesus as God, one of the Trinity. Verse 20 in the passage this morning uh, says, And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross. And so Romans 5.1 says it this way, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have... Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so God reconciles all things to Himself through Jesus Christ. And reconciliation is a removal of hostility but, uh, and, and the restoring of friendly relations to parties who have been at war with each other. And so we have this peace through God only through Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. But He's truth and life as well. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And so peace with God was made available through the blood of Jesus who died on the cross. Verse 21 says, And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled. And so we were alienated and enemies in our mind uh, by ...and by our wicked works. And so we were enemies in two ways. One is in our minds. So before knowing Christ, our thoughts and our attitudes are hostile toward God. We are enemies of God before trusting Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. Our way of thinking is contrary to God's way of thinking. We failed to see the remedy, that is, trusting in Him and obedience to Him and dependence on God. The other way that we're enemies of God is in our wicked ways. Not just in our thinking, in our mind, but also in our wicked ways... We act based on our thoughts and our perceptions. And because our minds are contrary to God, our actions are also contrary to the way God would have us to act. Verse 21 goes on to say, Yet uh, now he has reconciled. And so we have been reconciled in the first part of, first part of verse 42. It says, Yet he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. And so Ephesians 2.13 says it this way. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so we can be brought near to God the Father only through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so our thoughts and our actions are contrary to God. And Jesus made the way for reconciliation and for peace, for us to have peace and joy with God the Father through uh, Jesus Christ the Son. John one twenty nine says it this way. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He takes away the sin. And then we pick up in verse 22 and it says, In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and, ab- and above reproach in his sight. So before, we were not seen as holy and blameless and above reproach. But because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we can be seen above reproach and holy and blameless. Romans 8, says, 1 says, There is is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so one day, believers will stand before God, and believers will be seen by Him as holy and... And blameless and above reproach. That is without blemish. Because of Jesus Christ. Verse 23. If indeed you continue in the flesh. Grounded and steadfast. And are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. Which was preached to every creature under heaven. Of which I, Paul, became a minister. So if. Uh, it is often misunderstood understood in this text. If. Uh, in this verse is not saying that our salvation is dependent on our performance. That is not at all what it's saying. We know that our salvation is a gift from God. It says, if is an expression of confidence, uh, not doubt, when, we, when you look at the Greek construction, it, when it's understood. And so, if could be translated, uh, another way in English is as sense. So, as sense, indeed, you continue in faith, uh, um, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel. And so, as, since, because you are grounded, because you are continuing the faith, because of these things, you can have that personal relationship with God. So Paul is not doubting the faithfulness of the Colossians, and he says so even in Colossians 2, 5, where he says, For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the Spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. So he's not questioning their their uh, their faithfulness here. It's written as a warning to avoid the religious fads he's trying to address here uh, and the false teachers that are in, Coloss- in Colossae. And so remember, Paul is dealing with these false teachers and teachings. And because of this, Paul is saying that if you continue in this faith and grounded and steadfast, you're not going to be moved away from the hope. You're not going to be moved away from the gospel, which is heard and been preached. And so, in other words, you are secure if you have this faith and believe and hope and following gospel, which is Paul has taught, because it is the word of God from God. And you're not secure if you're following these false teachings that you're hearing being proclaimed in the community of Colossae. And so we see the deity of Jesus Christ in verse 15, and that he is the image of the invisible God. In verse 16, we see Jesus holds the highest rank over creation, Because He is the Creator. In verse 17, Jesus is eternally existent because He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. In verse 18, we see that Jesus is the head of the church. Also, we see that Jesus conquered death because He is the firstborn from the dead. In verse 19, Jesus is God because in Him the fullness of the Father dwells. Verse 20, through Jesus we have been reconciled to God, and a way of peace has been established because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. In verse 21, through Jesus we have been reconciled to God, having formerly been alienated and enemies of God. then in verse 22, through Jesus, He presents us holy and blameless and above reproach in God's sight. In verse 23, all this is possible when we surrender to God through Jesus Christ and believe by faith the true gospel of the scriptures of the Bible. And so if you've trusted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, your sins have been forgiven, you have been redeemed, and He has delivered you from the power of darkness. Colossians 1:13 and 14 says this, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin. And so Jesus is God the Son. And the Bible clearly identifies Jesus as God the Son and the only means of salvation. Acts 4.12 Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. And so do we realize our need for salvation, which is only given through Jesus Christ? Romans 6.23, we're all familiar with these texts. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of, of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do we know Jesus, God the Son, as our personal Lord and Savior? Is it somebody we know about or is He someone we know intimately? We, learned, we talked about this in Sunday school this morning, about hearing the voice in His sheep, knowing His voice. If I don't recognize that voice, I may not be a sheep. But I have to be around Him and spend enough time with Him to say, Oh, that's the Lord speaking. I need to pay attention. And so as a sheep, I need to recognize His voice. Do we know Jesus, God the Son, as our personal Lord and Savior? We can do that today because in Romans 10, 9 and 10 it says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. And so Jesus is God, the Son. So based on this knowledge, what decision do we need to make today... Or how do we need to respond to the text today knowing that Jesus is God the Son? Let me close in prayer.